Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast, Paul Beers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. Today, we have our first repeat guest in the podcast series, Will Smith, who uh, I work with at GCI Consultants. Will, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here, Paul. Yeah, so last time we, we talked about water infiltration testing, and that was, I believe, our most listened to podcast. I think that really resonated with the audience. And today we've talked and decided that we're going to talk about hurricanes and hurricane protection. We've been in um, Florida for quite some time through all the, the hurricane activities and Hurricane Andrew and everything beyond, right? Yeah, too many years to even admit, but yes, I've experienced quite a bit. <laughs> so maybe just tell us a little bit about what some of the things that, uh, maybe starting with Andrew, what some of your experiences have been and um, kind of, you know, through the years, so to speak. Okay, well, first, let me uh, emphasize that our discussion here today is, uh, as far as hurricanes and so forth, is we're talking about wind resistance, not flood resistance. That's another whole subject. I want to concentrate today on wind issues. And just to give you a little bit more of the background, I've been in Florida over 50 years now. And yes, I've gone through a lot of hurricanes. But my first real investigation of hurricane storm damages was in 1992 after Hurricane Andrew. There were 10 storms that year, but that one everyone seems to remember most vividly because it caused uh, over $26 billion in in damage and several deaths. I ended up spending uh, several days or weeks there on the ground evaluating the damages immediately following that storm. And then 1995, that was another rather active hurricane season. There were actually 21 storms that year. You may remember Hurricane Opal, uh, Hurricane Maryland, for example. They were uh, very damaging storms. And in fact, in 1995, over 160 people lost their lives in hurricanes. And there was very significant damage. I guess in total, I've had boots on the ground performing hurricane investigations for a number of years, a number of different locations all over the East Coast and the Gulf Coast states. Uh, And I've spent, as a result of that, I've spent many, many hours promoting revisions that have been aimed at strengthening the building codes and standards and now recently, although the United States has been somewhat spared in recent years from wind damages, the threat's still out there. We we can't let this disappear. Yeah, apathy is a, a big thing when memory is often short with the hurricane threat. You know, you mentioned Hurricane Opal, and that reminded me that, you know, you and I were together in Atlanta when Hurricane Opal hit in the Florida Panhandle, and we were actually at the Florida, not Florida, Southern um, Standard Building Code, code hearings 
where they were considering some changes to the building codes for hurricane protection and those changes were not adopted at that time. Meanwhile, there was a hurricane striking the Panhandle and we actually hopped in the car and, and drove down there. So where are we today or, or where have we come from there to today as far as what's going on with in the construction industry and building codes and hurricanes? Well, we learned a lot. You know, one of the first things I think we learned, and this goes back in the early 1990s, right after Hurricane Andrew, we thought at that time that Florida was, for example, we knew wind, we knew what hurricanes were. We're best to experience a hurricane in, in Florida, so we knew what wind is all about. But what the engineering community found out immediately following Andrew was that no, we really didn't know wind very well, and we had poorly addressed the effects of windstorms in the building codes and the wind pressures that were calculated according to the building code uh, that buildings had to resist wind pressure, but the calculations were wrong. Uh, they weren't adequate, and we also didn't adequately address construction materials and methods and how to resist wind pressures, such things as, that are as simple as properly bracing the roof structures or tying down roofs. We thought we had that taken care of, but we really hadn't done a very good job of it. And 1992 seemed to be a wake-up call. At that point, a lot of code revisions were introduced. Unfortunately, it took a long time for some of those to get through, but we found out that we need to figure out a way to tie everything together, tie the building together, uh, to make sure that during a windstorm it doesn't come apart. Because one of the most important things we found out is that the building codes may have addressed wind pressure, maybe not very well, but they did address wind pressure. But what they didn't address is the fact that when the wind blows, it can damage vegetation, picks up debris, and so forth. And this debris gets introduced into the wind field and that crashes into the building and it can cause significant damage to the building. Worse, if that debris makes a hole in the side of the building, for example, if it hits a window or door and the glass is broken out, this allows the hurricane wind then to enter into the building. And when you couple those pressures on the inside of the building with the pressures that are already on the outside of the building, it can create catastrophic building failure. So, the building codes recognize that these pressures not only had to be addressed properly and that the materials had to be able to resist the pressure, but also not just pressure, but we needed to figure out a way to resist the debris that's carried by those blowing winds. And that's when new standards were developed that would address windborne debris and testing for windows, doors, and other components to resist that windborne debris. Yes, and you and I working together through a lot of that, and, and it was, I, I think you'll agree with me, we were frustrated at times at the slow pace of, of adoption for something that seemed so obvious, but eventually, you know, it did get adopted, so how has the construction industry responded to basically, you know, the, the new codes that came into place in the mid to late 90s? 
Well, the interesting thing about that is just like you said, in 1992, 93, 94, back in that area, when the proposed changes were first introduced, some manufacturers and industry professionals vigorously opposed it. We heard predictions, you may remember back then, no window and door manufacturer could ever make a product that will pass this type of a test. Uh, we heard claims that additional construction costs would bring residential and commercial construction to an absolute standstill. But what actually happened was the building code industry, if you will, the building code committees did make the changes as a result, made industry respond to those changes. And what we found was actually innovation of products that were introduced into the market. Now there are literally thousands of products that have been tested uh, satisfactorily that satisfy these requirements. And not only that, as anyone can see just looking around in the coastal United States, construction's booming. It didn't bring construction to a standstill, not at all. Construction's still going strong. And we got the products now that are able to satisfy these requirements. So I've, I've always said that if you're building buildings where there's hurricanes, you ought to design them for hurricanes, which wasn't always the case. Just makes a lot of sense. So now, you know, we've got some history. The codes have been improved and there's been a bunch of hurricanes here, you know, in Caribbean, coastal United States, places like that. How do the new buildings do when subject to hurricane or severe wind storms? I think we've seen some evidence that the changes that are made have been very successful. There hasn't been a real good, thorough, in-depth study made, but uh, that is recently anyways, but I found one that was done about 10 years. This was done in after the storms uh, in August and September of 2004, about 10 years after some of the implementation of the major code. And it was found that during those storms, that four major storms that hit in Florida in August and September of 2004, there were no deaths in any structure that was built under the revised building codes and that damages to those buildings because of wind was very minor. So I think the, the success of these changes has been seen and we're going to continue to see it as time goes on because as you know and as you said, hurricanes they're going to continue to come. They're not going to go away because they can't be complacent. They're going to happen. It's kind of like when they do happen, you know, I'm thinking back to 04 and 05. It was, it's also, it's kind of like urban renewal because the buildings that aren't as well built, the windows and doors and other, you know, roofs and other components get damaged. And that obviously causes building owners to act. Um, sometimes it's insurance proceeds. Other times they just do it because they recognize the need or, or they have to do it because of damage. And the building stock is always improving. So given that fact that new buildings are being built well, older buildings are being renovated, where does that bring us to today? Does that mean you're probably not going to have as much flying debris? And would you expect to see more improvement because of the continual upgrading of, of the building stock? 
I think we're going to see more improvement because of the upgrade of the buildings uh, as they go along, but we're not going to eliminate windborne debris. Uh, windborne debris is one of the things, common things that we found in some of the hurricane investigations back years ago were two by fours uh, because buildings were coming apart. But it wasn't limited to that. We found a lot of vegetation from trees and, and branches and roofing shingles and things like this. So uh, you're going to minimize things like roofing shingles because the code has been improved, but you're not going to totally eliminate these things. Uh, I think, however, we're going to minimize the damage because we've, we're going to be constructing buildings as time goes on, more secure and more fortified to resist the damages that can be inflicted by this flying debris. So let's fast forward to today. We have a lot of architect, building owners, construction professionals listening. What should they be doing um, as they're designing and building buildings to get the maximum protection or benefit at this point? Well, we need to look at several different aspects of this. It's not just uh, design and building. That is important. Uh, we need to, uh, building owners, building designers need to consider, obviously they need to build it in accordance with the code, but those locations that are uh, hurricane prone locations, uh, they have an option uh, when it comes to exterior, uh, the exterior of the building and the openings in the building, like windows, doors, uh, louvers, vents, uh, those types of things. They can either design the building using products that have been certified and tested for for resistance not only to wind but also to windborne debris or they can provide alternatives such as shutters that can be installed over those products and that could be damaged in the event of a hurricane of course designer has to take into account the use of the building uh, for example, if you have a building that's occupied by the elderly or infirmed, or if you have a multi-story building, uh, installing shutters is no easy task, and sometimes it's absolutely impossible. So the designer has to take into consideration the end use and, uh, of the building and the application of those products. We also, though, we need to reach out to business owners and understand that not only is your own personal property, your home need to be considered, but your business needs to be considered. Think about the window and door protection that you have in the property that you're, you occupy is, even if it's a, an existing building, do you need to upgrade what you have? Um, do you need to consider checking with the local building department for a look at what the requirements are and use products or install some new products to upgrade your building so you don't have to worry about throwing plywood over the side of the building to protect against flying debris in a coming windstorm. You may want to go ahead and be proactive and take these preparations now. Also think of your employees uh, and co-workers. Are, are they going to be able to to go on, you know, frankly, we're probably going to lose power when the hurricane goes down. What about the data in your business? What about your operation? Uh, how do you keep it going? Make sure you develop a plan for your home and your business that you protect your building 
and that you Im be prepared to implement those plans as soon as it's necessary. And when a storm is approaching and you're told it's time to go and put your hurricane plan in effect, that's no joke. That's time to, to it, if you don't have a plan by then, it's too late. It's time now, before we get to that point, it's time now to act and get prepared. And so, you know, at GCI Consultants, we've talked about this a lot. We're in the hurricane business. I, I like to think we get it. And, you know, you mentioned some business sustainability issues that obviously were beyond protecting the building, such as protecting your data and your records and whatnot. And the cloud is a beautiful thing. I mean, we, I remember we used to be so concerned we'd have to do backup tapes on our servers and, and really worry about, you know, the building being damaged, power going out and all that. And we've actually conquered that to where we don't even think about it. Last year when Hurricane Matthew came, you know, we worried about the our, our employees and, you know, were they going to be okay and, you know, securing what little bit we had around the office. But we were running, you know, up and running the whole time. And it's, it's, it's great what, what technology has done for that. That's right. And I think there's a lot of help that people can get. They can go to, um, if, they, if they feel overwhelmed, all they got to do is go to uh, the Hurricane Center website. Uh, it's uh, NOAA, uh, NHC, National Hurricane Center, dot NOAA, N-O-A-A, dot gov. And they have a web page there that, for both individual homeowners and businesses that give you a whole list of these things you can go down to protect your your home, your employees, your business and get prepared for these things cuz like, you know, like we've been trying to say here if you if you wait until the storm is announced and you got to buckle down and you haven't done it by then, it's too late. That's exactly right. The time to do a hurricane plan is before the hurricane, not as it's bearing down on, on the coastline. I want to um, back up for a second. We were, we were talking before about you know, windows and doors and, and wind and debris and everything. What about water? We're not, we're not talking about flood here. I'm talking about you know, like water, rainwater and, and water coming in through the exterior building envelope. How do you account for that during a hurricane? You're right. The windows and doors have to be tested uh, and certified according to uh, certain standards that are in publication that include not only the uh, windborne debris that we've been talking about, but and wind as we've been talking about, but also they have to resist um, water infiltration to a certain level of performance. Unfortunately, uh, that level of performance is a percentage of and the actual wind pressures that can be experienced during a, a hurricane event. So we've seen event, seen hurricane events that the windows and doors have held together fine, but they leaked. So we encourage uh, new construction projects and architects and designers, rather, of new construction projects to look for those products that have the highest possible testing uh, response uh, or numbers for resistance to water because although uh, wind damage can be catastrophic, uh, water damage inside a building can also be an extremely serious damaging problem that can cost thousands and thousands of dollars to repair. 
I was just thinking back to one of our one of the prior guests on the on, a, on the podcast. Ray Crawford has developed a window that is tested far and above the building code requirements. I think it does a hundred pounds per square foot for a water test, and that's for you know it's a fixed window for for an office building. But the the building codes contain minimum standards, and so often we see the the goal is to meet the code requirements is it appropriate to exceed the code requirements sometimes and, and could you maybe give some examples for that it's certainly appropriate uh, we can we can always do that um, and in fact particularly in some of the commercial buildings that we see and and high-rise buildings that we see in in the south florida market where we're susceptible to hurricane damage or hurricane uh, events the building codes, uh, like we're talking about, the standards have these resistance for wind pressures uh, up to a certain maximum requirement. And like I said, the water is a percentage of that, according to the standards, but then there's a cap uh, on that number. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, Crawford has 100 PSF resistance to water, while the applicable uh, standard requires that you test at a certain percentage of the wind up to, for water, up to a maximum of 12, not 100. Now, is 12 adequate? In some cases, for example, in my home, I live in a, in a low-rise home. 12 is more than adequate for my home. Uh, but if I lived on the 30th floor, for example, of a high-rise condominium in South Florida, 12 may be very questionable. So it'd be appropriate in many cases, particularly in high-rise, where you have where you you're very susceptible to these kind of conditions. It's very appropriate to look for performance that exceeds what is necessary according to the code. And as you said, the code is a uh, minimum requirement, not a, not a maximum. It's a minimum. So you can always build above the minimum. Of course, everybody has to recognize that if you want to exceed those requirements, you're probably going to have to pay a little more money for it. You get what you pay for a lot of times. Absolutely. And however... Even though you get what you pay for, you may be willing, you know, 10 years from now, if you experience one of those storms, you would may be very willing and very happy that you paid that extra money to resist that type of damage and problem. When, when you make the investment, the, the thing with the hurricane protection is there's, it's not instant gratification. You know, it takes, it's, nobody wishes for a hurricane. In fact, I think plenty of people would be happy to make the investment and never have one. But uh, it sure does feel good. You know, I put new windows in my house a couple of years ago. And last year, I was actually hiking in Morocco when Hurricane Matthew was threatening. And I was really happy that I didn't have to worry about closing shutters and preparing or anything. Because once you have, those products in installed, you're ready, you know, you're ready 24 seven, basically. Exactly. Uh, unlike some of the other, which, and what we, what you're talking about in that type of product is passive protection. It's always there. It's always ready as opposed to something like shutters, 
which is an active thing. Somebody has to go out there, put the shutters up, or install whatever has to be installed in order to give the protection. So, if we have a, um, let's say, a commercial or high or multifamily residential building that we're going to design or construct, we go out and we do all the right things as far as finding the suitable products that meet or exceed the code, getting a good water leakage resistance rating on it. What's the other thing that obviously people would need to be concerned about is installation because the greatest products, if they foul up the installation, aren't going to perform. And I think it this kind of relates back to our water testing podcast as well, but could you, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, certainly. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, the best products in the world are only as good as the installer who put them in the building. You, know, you can spend a lot of money for a uh, the highest quality window, door, or exterior building component uh, that money can buy, but if it's installed improperly, it's not going to work and you're going to have trouble, whether it be a, a failure of the product itself, water leakage, air leakage, too much thermal transmission. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong. So installation is crucial, and it needs to be monitored, uh, particularly in buildings of significance, such as a high-rise uh, condominium or commercial building. The, and the reason for that is because these buildings are, um, because they are so large, because they're so spread out, there's several crews working at different times and in different locations on the building. And those crews change sometimes daily. You get different people doing different things, and they don't even keep up with each other. It's hard for them to keep up with each other. So somebody needs to monitor it and make sure it's done according to the uh, the requirements and is able to to satisfy the performance expectations of the owners. Uh, so it's important, we believe, particularly in new construction projects, to have a consulting firm such as GCI out there to monitor installations, to oversee the uh, the inspections that are done to make sure that the installations are uh, of the work is done in accordance with the requirements and at least in that way that the uh, occupants are going to have some sense that uh, the the performance will satisfy the re the requirements and that you know maybe we can hope that they're not going to leak when the next windstorm comes uh, rainstorm comes through so let's talk a little bit also about water infiltration testing again. You know, we've got a portfolio of projects and clients and whatnot where we've worked with them and, you know, gone through the inspection and whatnot and also done the um, water field water infiltration testing. Can you talk a little bit about what happens typically early on in the testing process and, you know, where we try to end up and then how that translates into performance and severe weather later on yeah for a for new con building construction we like to recommend that as early as possible in the installation process that uh, uh, representative windows and doors are te field tested for resistance to water leakage 
in an installed condition, that is uh, with all the exterior wall finishes in place, with the sealants around the windows and doors in place. So everything's tested as it, uh, as it should be. Unfortunately, uh, historically, um, we found out many years ago that uh, when doing that, we find that uh, 60 to 70% of those installations fail the first test. But the reason for the failure was because of installation deficiencies, which is why we want to do that test very early in the construction phase so we can find those installation deficiencies, correct them, retest it until it's right, and then that becomes a standard for the balance of the installation of the project. Then as the project goes on, we'll sporadically test others as spot checks to make sure that quality is maintained throughout the construction process. And hopefully then by doing this, it gives the owner uh, an assurance that the products that they've specified have been installed as they're required and they resist the water leakage that could occur in the event of a rainstorm. And they end up generally with a good result when they go through that process. We've we've had uh, pretty good success doing that, but again, uh, it needs to be understood by all that nothing is perfect, and nobody is you know nothing is foolproof. We cannot we, uh, we could, but uh, most people are not going to want us out there to test every single window and door that goes into a high-rise building, and some work gets covered over, but. We can be out there enough during the inspection process along with the testing so that we can uncover these problems as they go along and make sure they're fixed. Yeah, the concept I think is is to not to have a systemic problem. In other words, have water infiltration where it floods the whole building. And you know, if, if you if you have a high-rise building and you get hit with a major windstorm, rainstorm, whatever, and you have say three leaks you're happy you've you've made it i mean you don't want any leaks but what you don't want is 300 leaks and you know massive massive problems exactly correct that's right what any recommendations for people about what they should be thinking about and what they should be doing for with hurricane season upon us yeah um i think right now remember friends family coworkers are not all going to be together when the storm hits, so now's the time to make a plan. Figure out how you're going to contact each other once the storm uh, or after the storm is over. Assemble a supply uh, kit uh, for your home or your business uh, with at least three days' supply of uh, water, non-perishable food. Uh, remember that you're going to lose, probably going to lose power, so include a supply of batteries and and radio power battery powered radios flashlights and so on get yourself a first aid kit uh and just be prepared be prepared to if you're going to ride out the storm be prepared to ride out and uh, stay there during the storm and and stay there afterwards when you're going to be low on or when you may not have power, but understand that you need to be prepared to evacuate, especially if you're in a flood zone. When the authorities come on the air and tell you that it's time to get out of your business or time to get out of your home, 
go get shelter. Don't mess around. They don't make those decisions lightly. They have your life safety in mind. And for your business, remember that you're also going to be out without power for several days. So develop a plan of action that assures that the safety of your data, your equipment, and your employees is first and foremost. Great advice. So thank you very much, Will, for being the first repeat guest on Everything Building Envelope. My, my pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. Yeah, we will, because, you know, we, when, as we've been together longer than we care to admit, and um, we've got lots to talk about. That's right. So um, I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and it's, this is a really appropriate subject for hurricane season, obviously. We have a newsletter. If you're interested in receiving the Everything Building Envelope newsletter, all you have to do is text the word Building Envelope to 22828. Again, text the word Building Envelope to 22828. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. Until next time, this is Paul Beer saying so long. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.